podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Hayden Bray, Global Chief Executive Officer of Audience Precision. Welcome Hayden. Thank you Darren, thanks for having me. Well, this is not your first rodeo or rodeo as they say, is it, into the world of media, but uh, it is quite different from what you've done before. It is. Um, my, uh, my background has been years and years of doing this. I, I uh, came through the ranks of George Patterson's and then became National Media Director of DMBB all those years ago um, and then decided to have a go myself. And well, it's interesting because both of those are in the days when media and uh, creative agencies were actually all one in the same, weren't they? And it was a really solid model, I must say, because there was respect across all the different departments. The media guys were not just people to, to throw the, the money at the networks at the end of the day. Ultimately, that was there wasn't a part of that. But really, the strategic piece was the thing that got me interested in it. And, um, and the respect from the creative directors and the, all the creative team to a, a strategic conversation was, was really interesting. And it was just down the corridor as opposed to it being a different, uh, a different building these days. Come on, Hayden. The truth is that uh, us creatives, because I was a creative back in those days, uh, we loved the media department because you had the best tickets to the best <laughs> events, to all the sporting. Come on. We had all of that. And unfortunately, well, the good thing is, you know, the, the 80s, early 90s was all about that. And um, and it was, it was a, seriously a fun part of the, the game. Um, but there was also a lot of serious work got done, you know, which which was, which I suppose for me as a, very young guy coming through the ranks was uh, I was able to be mentored by some pretty interesting people, Alex Hamill being the most important one, a guy named Ron Selsby, who was the media director at George Patterson's, took me under his wing early and, and taught me the importance of thinking differently, I yeah. suppose, as opposed to just a lot of people in, in the ranks that were just ticking boxes and getting out the door at five o'clock, whereas I would sit in Ron Selsby's office, you know, later on through the day and, and just have conversation. And, and I suppose that's where I started to get a taste that the media space was going to be an interesting one for me. And you, you mentioned a minute ago, then you went and set up your own agency. That was called Brain Media. Um, and that was uh, my wife, Kerry, was a partner in that and, uh, and, and Tony Lyle originally. Um, and we went on, an, uh, I suppose, a, a, a mission to create another media outsourced buying service because that was when Mitchell and Partners and, and Merchant and Partners and all those guys were breaking away from agencies uh, as, a, as a bundle and offering that service independently. And, and we, were, we were the new kids on the block. Most people thought we'd fail because we, uh, we were way too young, um, you know, that sort of early, late-ish 20s sort of space. And, uh, and um, we set up in Manly and most people didn't think that would work. So um, we proved them wrong 10 years later. We, we built a significant business. Well, you, uh, you're clearly showing a sort of trend towards doing things ahead of the curve because, you know, now Manly's where so many agencies have actually set up down there because it's such a great place to be. It's such a great place to be. And, and 
we, in those days, there was a lot more client meetings and, and rep meetings than, than there are these days. Um, and uh, But most people loved coming down there. You know, everyone that, that we employed, the big agencies were having trouble trying to get decent talent, whereas because we were at Manly and because we were probably doing things a little differently, we had uh, a queue at the door and it was pretty interesting. We had an amazing group of people. Everyone got a surfboard when they came in. That was the rules. And um, and they were able to go and surf at lunchtimes and run around the beaches at lunchtimes and and uh, memberships down at Manly Surf Club to be able to change and get ready for the afternoon. But it was it was a we really enjoyed it. And the work was was really solid. We had some massive clients. Over 10 years we built it up to about $250 million worth of billings, which was which was good for a little independent. Yeah. And um, the next part of our journey was that we sold to Cara and it became Cara in Australia. So um, so we were the foundation component of what Cara is today. Right. But now you've got something that's actually an extension of that and, again, sort of at that leading edge because, uh, well, tell us a bit about audience precision. Because, oh, uh, sorry, yeah. I, I will say one of the things that got me is uh, you've got a video that explains the, the concept and it says 10 years in the making. Mm. So perhaps give us a bit of an insight into that 10 years. I was very fortunate in, um, in the days at DMB, um, a guy named Marshall Duncan was head of IT there and, and software development and building all these systems. And I, was, I showed a real interest in that. And I suppose I taught him a bit about media and he taught me a lot more about, um, about programming. So am I a programmer? No. Can I get my way through it? Yeah, I can. Um, and so I had that, I suppose, passion to, to learn about how you can do things better, more accurately and more faster so that your strategic people, me included, could spend more time doing what we do as opposed to crunching numbers and all the things that media is renowned for. We were very much, um, in, in, back in those days, leading that charge and audience precision is, is the next evolution of this. Um, I always had a concept to be able to build something that was, that was robust, that, was, that took away the, the grunt work of media, I suppose, um, and then and be able to scale it, really. And, mm. and so uh, I, I started building a wireframe with a friend of mine by the name of Jeremy Kath, who was, um, he was recruited into the Microsoft network and, and, and worked in their Seattle office running the evangelist unit for them, mm-hmm. um, which was a pretty interesting space. And so he was always my go-to. I said, am I, th- am I crazy thinking about this idea? And he would say, no, no, here's a few extra things we'll do. So he actually was, I would build a fundamental wireframe and he would actually start to shape it. But it was just a bit of a fun thing to do, I suppose, up until five years ago, really, six years ago. When right. So so 10 years in the making, but uh, you got serious five years ago. Exactly. Um, a really good friend of mine and, a, and a, an old client, a guy named Tony Harlow, who was a client at EMI, and uh, we bumped back into each other in Manly in a cafe um, in the music industry. He, he was an amazing character, but he went back to the UK at the same time as I sold to Cara. And then he came back as, as the head of Warner Music in Australia. And so with Warner Music, he, his mission was to reinvent it. And he is, he is an exceptionally talented music guy that actually really is, is very talented at marketing. And so um, he convinced me to come and spend a couple of days a week with him um, as, a, 
as I suppose a, a strategic guy, thinking guy in the background. Am I a music person? Not on your life. Um, but that's why he wanted me there because I was thinking differently about the music space. And then, and then from there it started to evolve and he set me a challenge and said, I want you to set up an agency and if you can, let's, see what, let's make it really different. I find the music industry particularly interesting for the innovation and it's innovation driven by what is often a paucity of resources. And so they get used to doing so much with so little. Absolutely. That they're constantly looking for innovation. You know, they'll just say new ways of doing things. You know, they're the ones that came up, you know, the bit they almost refined the art of putting bill posts up yeah. all over the place. You know, they'd find ways of doing uh, collaborations with brands and bands to, to yeah. extend the exposure and things like that. So I'm not surprised that it was yeah. actually someone from the music industry that uh, embraced the idea of, you know, media could be done better. Exactly. And, 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 and the, they were also the first major category to be smashed by pirating. Um, Napster and that whole thing, right? So technology was uh, has now become their absolute friend with with um, Spotify and all the other elements of all of that. But prior to that, they were getting absolutely beaten up, and yeah. so and so there was a whole strategic approach we had to create that was a little different to that. So uh, launching artists was one thing, but also how do we actually navigate through this? Um, and there were lots of really fascinating conversations with Tony. Um, but he's a he's a marketer at heart and a and a music guy as a specialty. And so I suppose for him, um, we would we would just be constantly thinking of things. And then when he gave me the challenge, he said, I, I said, look, really, I don't want to set up another agency again. I've been through that before, and you know, reasonably successful at that. But it was more. He he said to me, um, I, whatever it is that you're going to build, if you build it, it I know it'll be something really interesting. And so. That's what I did. I, I dusted off all the things that Jeremy and I were playing around with and, and got serious. And, and then Tony handed me their business and we, um, and we really, really took things to a whole new level from that point. Because uh, the other thing that uh, your video says is that everything is data-driven, mm. right? And uh, I remember when I saw the video a couple of weeks ago, yeah. I went, yeah, yeah, come, come on. Everyone mate. says that. Everyone's yeah. saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, like um, even the, the big network agencies, ah, oh, we're investing in data. Uh, we had Hearts and Sciences a few years ago, Scott Hagedorn yeah. out of Analyc, you know, uh, yeah. data-driven, data-driven. We'll go into the wall gardens and, and yeah. get you better performance. Yeah. Uh, Martin Cass, when he was at... Uh, at uh, uh, MDC uh, set up their media functional data driven. What's the difference? The data we use, we can integrate clients first party data if they have it. Um, but that actually isn't a mandatory for us because we're all about what the consumer thinks. Uh, we have a consumer uh, research partner that we, we research 1.2 million people every quarter around the world in 46 countries. And we, uh, and we know what they think, what they believe in, what they do, what their behaviour in every aspect of their life looks like. So for us, we're all about that's the insight piece and our job's to weaponise it. Mm. And so if we weaponise that insight, we can create something really, really powerful, which is what we've done. And, and when, our, 
we're now doing, you know, work with Warner Music around the world now um, based on those things. So do you think it's because you're working with uh, Warner and, and the music industry? Because one of the things they struggle with is getting a lot of first-party data. You know, the Apples and the Spotify's of the world are not rushing it. forward, right. handing over, well, here is, here is uh, exactly. uh, person number A and they mm. listen to this track and this and they've downloaded this. They keep that, they know the value of that they data, do. so they keep it to themselves. They do. Is that part of the, the motivation, the fact that, you know, uh, Tony couldn't come to you and say, well, I've got all this uh, first-party data, so you had to come up with a solution? that didn't rely on first party? Because, sorry, I have to yeah, tell you, no, no. almost every other system relies on getting first party customer data yeah. and washing it against yeah. lots of other sources of yeah. data yeah. to actually identify the audiences. Yeah. How do you do it? To me, part of my training was to under, all the way through my career was, was to look at what the consumer thinks, mm-hmm. full stop. Not necessarily... Um, the data of transactions because that was that came way later. But it was more a case of if you understand what the consumer is thinking, believing, and what their what what their whole motivations are in their life, you can actually craft communication to extract an advertising message to them. So really, for us, that's that's how I grew up, and it was and it was the hardest part of it though was those those forgotten marketing practices that only forgotten because it takes so long to do it. There's so many amazing things to be able to to use insight for and use data for, but most of the processes are just really cumbersome and it takes too long and things move way too fast these days. So what we had to do was look at the whole, look at a consumer behaviour model that actually was around consumer insight um, and as I said, every quarter we, you know, we're now doing forty-six countries, doing things all around the world. Now, it was all about it was all about understanding what what that was, so that we can actually go to the next level, irrespective of what the what the because um, we're looking what the, in in music space they operate really really quickly, really really quickly. A release can come out, and an artist will drop a single or an album, you know, and in the Australian market, you might find out ten days prior. So you've got to move. You can't just say, oh, well, we've got this step-by-step process and it'll take us three and a half weeks to get something done. We were in and out in a a day. We had to have a strategy that was bang on. And if we weren't doing that, we could not compete as their major partner. That's more agile than agile, isn't it? It it is. So we were born born and bred on that, right? And so... We didn't have any ambition that we were going to be this global company. We were just said, oh, a few of us will have some fun with Warner Music. It's a fun category to part of. And Tony's an amazing guy and Warner Music as a bunch of people were extraordinary for us. We were embedded in their offices. They didn't want us to go and we didn't want to go. But we had to move super fast. Um, so we had to work out, I've used the term before, weaponising that insight. How do you get it and do it really, really quickly? Make make a judgment call and actually create a campaign and then ultimately push it out to the media buyers. Um, either we would do it ourselves or we push it to an external media buyer in the early days um, who could actually go and transact against that, um, which was a completely different piece of the puzzle. So the, the strategy was one thing. Here's, here's the, future, the future fans because, you know, I think right now in the music space, they understand exactly who their fan base is right now. Any artist, they'll, 
they go to the Spotify's and go to any other data source and say the consumption is made in this group of people. Um, you know, we'll talk about DNA segments in a minute that we do, but basically we would match that and say, yeah, okay, that they look like this. And in our world, we, we have this shape for them and this segment for them. It is interesting as well because the, the musicians themselves, before they even get to a, a record company, are already using platforms like they are. Uh, SoundCloud. Yeah, they are. In fact, uh, what's the, the, um, the, uh, that big hit at the moment... Uh, uh, bad boy, I've forgotten the name. Oh, now. Yeah. But yeah, so that started off. Yeah, uh, yeah. Her and her brother posting their tracks to SoundCloud yeah, yeah. and building yeah, a community yeah, yeah. of followers that just went yeah. crazy. And and they know how to talk to their absolute fans. Our job is to say, who's your future fans? Yeah. And and and, and scale it and scale it because that's great that you own this little part of. the the community and fantastic good on you. You've got a, you might have a hit, you might have a couple of hits, but you're only enduring if you can bring future fans to that play. And I suppose that's what we were doing for them to be able to say, it's great that you're here, but we can see this whole group of people up here that have either never heard of her um, or him um, or still need to be convinced that they actually want to become fans. So the marketing effort went to that space. Which brought them brought them to the left hand side of, of the model to say, to say um, this is where we can start to introduce them as fans of the artist. Now you know you talked a couple of times about the way you're sort of brought up, trained in in media, and you know it was heavily focused on demographics. You know the Roy Morgans, the, uh, yeah. the of the world were largely demographic, and All then would have some sort of a little psych- bit of it, yeah. a bit of psychographics, but and it wasn't a bit the of behavioural yeah. Yeah, yeah. data. But now you've got so many other sources, don't you? I mean, we, there's a huge amount of behavioural yeah. data yeah. available to you. Yeah, there is. Um, and for us, though, we we don't use data. We have a single source study. Right. That we do. Um, so from that, that allows us to to ensure that that cluster of people that we would call a segment. Uh, again, we'll talk about it in a minute. But that but a segment we we can understand the behaviour because we can trust that it's single source. So it's so for us, it's all about understanding this whole myriad of information about the person so that or that the group of the person individually that then becomes part of a segment, and then from that point we can start to have confidence that we know what they're thinking, we know what, they're, what, what will motivate them to purchase, we know the sort of things they're looking for from a brand, the, the scenarios of you know, what causes they believe in, well, what is in their head across all aspects of their life. Uh, and from there you can start to construct a very seriously robust strategy or multiple options of that um, if you've got the technology platform to be able to, say there is two or three pathways here to be able to turn this group of people in a music sense into fans, into other brands that we work for, into customers within the, the top of their sales funnel. So for us, it's all about, it's we've moved from music, we're now we're doing pretty well with that, but we've now adapted all of that speed and, and, and I suppose... Agility and... All of and stuff that ha- like you just can't, you're snoozing, you're losing that game. It's really that simple. Yeah. Um, and so for us, we have said that's, that's how we were born and bred. So now we can move into brand land and create that same level of absolute bang on targeting across 
any media platform, across anything else that, that exists in the marketing spectrum as touch points, how do you influence that? And what should you say at various points in time? So, so the study that we create is a thing called Game Plan, which actually is a, and I've, I've dropped one in for you to, to see, which is a very, very robust document to understand every aspect of, of a, a potential consumer's life. So um, is it, do you use it 10 days out? No, you'd refer to it 10 days out, but you're really seeing it at an upstream level. This is designed for the C-suite to say, right. this is what your business customers look like. This is what, if it's a brand, this is what they look like. And we, we break it down into a bullseye audience, which is the absolute perfect ones right now. Um, the, the inner circle audience, which is the ones that are probably the midterm group to start to, you need to, to start to talk to them. And strong prospects, which is the ones that are in the long-term space. Depending on whatever term timeline that is, that's the key to it. So that we're talking to people that are constantly filling up the top of that sales funnel. And if you can actually do that and you can bring qualified leads and customers to that, then the tech can take over. Then all the MarTech and all the rest of it and all their CRM modeling and everything else says, we've got interested people in here now. Let's constantly talk to them. And you know, we start with our segments and push them into the top. They'll then talk, talk about them in other forms at that point. It's interesting because what you're talking about and the way you're talking about it sounds quite traditional in that it's a strategy of who are our heavy users, who are our medium and who Absolutely. are our light and how do we move them from light to medium and medium to 100%. Heavy, right? yeah. Except that the technology is the part that makes yeah. it different and also the technology having or the data having an impact on setting up the model in the first place. Because the reason I brought up about, you know, the Roy Morgans of the world and that type of thing is it was, the media was very heavy around demographics. Yeah, very much. Whereas I'm assuming now that the type of data that you're relying on for those insights is less demographic focused. In fact, and it's... And more about attitudes and behaviours. 100%. Yeah? Exactly Because right. we're no longer fitting into those traditional um, roles of age, employment, education standard, you know, the, the quintiles, remember? The yeah, yeah. A, a, B. And, and, and that can be an important piece of the puzzle, but it's not the puzzle. The, the demographic model in a media sense is so easy. You're from creative, I'm from media. We've sat in many meetings where we've pinned up stuff on walls and the brand guy's going, this is what our customer looks like and here's what our, our high ambition customer is going to look like and we know they do these things. You walk away with an amazing brief and be able to write to that. I get people 25 to 54 as a media guy, Yeah. right? And it just, okay, here we go again as we go to the same old traditional channels. In our world at Audience Precision, we don't do that. We've brought it into 70 DNA segments that are 70 in every market in the world and every other places like Australia, US and UK, we have many more than that. And they are behavioural segments. So, so there might be a power executive, there might be a yummy mummy, there might be a cashed up bogan, there might be a whole lot of different people in here, career-driven women and a whole lot of different ones. So where our magic happens is because of our technology skills around that. It's not me, but Jeremy Kath, the guy who, who we've, he's now works for us as our CTO, but he, he left Microsoft to come and join us, um, which we're very excited about because his vision for our roadmap is really interesting. But he's the one that cracked the code of how do you 
normalize media data, merge it with our consumer data, create the segments, which means we can actually go and buy media against those segments and, 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 and I'm so, strip the so, waste. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, in the last 20 years, the number of times that uh, uh, people have said, you know, oh, we've done all this work on uh, creating, um, what do they call them? Uh, you know, like personas. Personas. Yeah. And then you go, well, that's great. Yes, yes. Now we've what identified do we do? 22 <laughs> personas. I go, well, that's a lot. Uh, how do they relate to the way you buy media? And they go, what? Mm. You know, because that's one of the issues, isn't it? I mean, it's it's become less so with digital. It has. Because a lot of digital gets bought on behavioural uh, uh, data and profiles. Yeah. But it is a combination of attitude, behaviour, and yeah, to a much smaller extent, demographic. But there's still media out there sold on a demographic. Absolutely, and there's certain there's certain brands or products that and categories that fit a certain demographic of gender and age, right? So so that's fine, but that's not the end game. To us, the end game is it's a behavioural segment, no matter what age or gender you might be in, um, in any form of that can actually become a cons- customer if you talk to them the right way, right? As opposed to, which means if they're into this thing and, you, and, you, and all you need to do is go out to a football game and, and look at a Sydney Swan supporter, they range from tiny little kids through to very old people. Mm-hmm. They have one passion and it's Sydney Swans Football Club, right? So, so t- to talk to them about football, don't mention Collingwood. Mm-hmm. Talk to them about their passion for Sydney Swans. That's got nothing to do with age and gender, right? So just one simple example. But if you bring that to consumer base, there is, there is you know, we call them 70 in Australia, it's about 130, but, but they are all segments that actually combine to create scale. So it's not just, oh, segments are small, meaning that we're not going to get a lot of volume out of that sale. No, you're not in one but the fact is we're, we're constantly evolving that so that there's a multiple group of segments so you've got precision at scale for us. And each of those behave differently. So the messaging could be tweaked to cater for that particular segment and then segment B is a little bit different. Same core message, but you as a creative guy would say, I know, understand exactly what I need to say to that person. A little different to that one, but the message is the same. It's a little bit like heat maps, isn't it? Because you lay out all those segments and there's some segments that are going to be hot Absolutely for right. your audience yeah. and others that are maybe you know coolish but still warm and then there's some that you should just forget about. So it allows exactly you right. to then focus on where those opportunities are that you're talking yeah. about, yeah. where your heavy, medium and light users or you know, uh, if they're not users, if you're launching something new, where the most likely... You're propensity. Get, yeah, yeah, propensity model. Yeah, exactly. And that's all the stuff we do. So, so for us, once we've identified that the customer base, either current or high, high ambition ones, are living in this space, we, that's our biggest... That the amount of, most amount of time we spend with our clients in the campaign is that bit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of workshopping on it. Let's just be really clear that we get that right because that leads us on the journey from there. And so, so for us, uh, we, ha- we have all these segmentations, we have all these amazing, there's 35,000 data points for each segment in every single country. And so there's so much information in there. But what is, and that, that you would think generally would be so ridiculously complex. That's where Precise360 comes in, which is our, our planning tool. It's a strategic guidance system that Jeremy has built that 
says there's 35,000 data points. We know the segment. When we're building out a campaign now, I mentioned game plan was all about very high ambition and, and very much in a, in, a, in a space of pre-planning for the company, for the brand. It's not about advertising. It's not about creative guys. It's not about media guys at that point. It's about here's what your customer base is going to look like. You need to be prepared for this. And if you just think you're going to run the old ad, you're probably going to waste a lot of money, right? So, so there's time to think about a different form of comms or a tweaking of what you currently have. It might, it might be that simple, but it certainly leads us down a different path in media because the wastage in people 20, 25 to 54 is insane. In every single brand, every single campaign we've ever looked at, when we have get a brief from a client and says, oh, this is what our, our, our audience is, people 25 54 and we, and we just almost repeat it before the phone call or in the middle of the meeting and and so we will say here's what it is what you have been doing here is what you should have done with that amount of money and and show the difference and it's quite significant like wastage of up to 70 percent it's just insane so all we're trying to do is say let's go and spend time where your target audience being a DNA segment in our world what are they engaged in what are, what, are they, what are they interested in? Let's go and spend the media money into those spaces. You can't do that if you haven't joined the dots from this, from the, the target behaviour through to the media um, properties that exist. So this is uh, actually going to the very heart of being customer-centric because the, it sounds like the very first step of audience precision is to define the audience. Most definitely. And, and then how to reach them, yeah. the most effective and efficient way of reaching them. And I mean efficient as in with a minimum of waste because, you know, that's one that's of the, the big issues that has been for media generally yeah. is the huge amount of waste. And a lot of people beat up on television and say, oh, no, it's, you know, we, we, our audience isn't there, the ratings are dropping. They might be, but there's still pockets of programs that are seriously powerful to the right audience, and there's some that they don't watch any television. So it's not just holistically television. It's saying we've launched campaigns where we've used six TV programs. That's it. They're the only ones that have got high engagement within, you know, the way we measure engagement, right? And so we say, okay, and, and they're not the big ones. They're not the, the big blockbuster, you know, Sunday night ones or the Wednesday nights and all the all the the major programs that exist in network land, they're often the ones that that have got a little bit more space to play in. So that's where we'll go and, and, and own those properties and launch a brand, a product or an artist into the behavioural space that, that the actual segment's looking for. And from there, the results we're getting is just insane around that because it's, it's not just, we're not wasting any money. Well, I remember it was the 1980s in the UK, there was a, a media philosophy which said, if I only appear in the media environments that my audience are passionate about, there you go. they will even notice that I don't appear generally. Yeah. That it builds almost like a rapport or an empathy because it becomes their brand. And because the, it knows them so well. Exactly. It only supports the, those opportunities. 
The other thing I just want to pick up on is it's amazing how lazy thinking is in media because, you know, you comment before about, oh, you know, my audience isn't on television. Well, that's such a... It's such a statement. Well, it's such a stupid statement. It is, yeah. Because, you know, you think of all of the broadcasting minutes in a week and all of the programming. I mean, even if someone only does one 30-minute destination a week, to know where they are yeah. and be there that's exactly is, not right. a, is then not a wasted opportunity. And that's where technology has to come in, right? And, and, and if you don't, all the things I'm talking about, trying to do that manually or on spreadsheets is a very hard task. So we've invested oh. a, a ridiculous amount of money with, with software development um, under Jeremy's uh, reign to to he 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 has a as a Microsoft and an Amazon guy and he's spent a lot of time in major major projects so he's he's all about let me do the things and take uh, automate put artificial intelligence put all this stuff into into a system that will take away the pain so all the things that you as an as a media person you get a new brief and you go I have got one week of diving into all the network tools and all the other uh, research tools that exist in ratings land to try and find something. He's taken all that away. Mm. So for us, it's called Precise 360 and it's a strategy guidance system. So we will say, here's the brand, put the, here's, here's what the audience is. We're looking at this particular segment. And he was very much in the early days of the data lake. So he's across all of that. So we've sort of got... a. Th- 35,000 data points live in a data lake now of um, of this particular segment. And we bearing in mind we have three, four, five, six, sometimes 10 segments in a campaign depending on what we're trying to do. So there's 35,000, but we're just say we're moving in towards yummy money's land. It will just say, okay, here's the things that are important for this particular campaign based on the setup that we've created in it. And it'll just go and say out of that 35,000, Let's strip out 30,000. They're irrelevant. Yeah. None of that stuff is important for this particular campaign or what we're trying to achieve. Then it'll go in and say, from the 5,000 left, what's the first thing we should do, right? He built gamification into it, which is like a, a gaming thing, yeah. um, which basically red light stuff for us. And it just says, you've got to start here. Yeah. Then you've got to go over here. And that might be a TV program. Then it might become a radio session. We don't buy by station. We don't buy by network because they're all different in radio land. It might be an out-of-home poster. It might be it might be a whole lot of stuff on Facebook. It might be something else in the digital landscape. And that starts to construct a really high-impact campaign across a media platforms, like multiple media platforms. Now that's all great, but how do you how do you measure that? Um, he and his team of um, extremely talented data science people out of the Microsoft world created a reach and frequency model for us that's multi-platform. Wow. And we've been around a long time, Darren, you and I, and I've been trying to crack it for a long time. You sort of get it a little bit um, and you and you say, okay, I, I, I know instinctively that that's about the right number if we start off with a base media and we add a couple of extra things to it. But... He's built it so that it just everything we do is ratcheting across multi-platform. And I think it's because you've built this on your own single source exactly. base. Because you know, I read that the WFA have now come up with a model for cross-channel 
uh, yep. measurement yep. that they're now testing in the US and the UK yeah, through yeah, their, yeah. their partner associations. But, yeah. you know, it suffers from all of the media world is so fragmented, not just in the media opportunities, but the way they all collect the data around yeah. those. So I imagine that uh, this actually, you know, is, is able to work in a more robust way because well, your base starts with yeah. where is our audience. Exactly. And then and each audience has 35,000 data points to choose from, right? Yeah. So, so for us, we then, you know, good data people will try and normalise the data. They'll try and work out what is the common thread here? And that's what they did. They, they were able to build, they, you know, I originally thought started teaching them about, okay, here's what television's all about and here's how it builds reach versus versus another media platform. Um, and they just said, you know, thanks for that. Can, I, can you give me 1,000 media runs against a particular demographic in this particular case across every media platform? Just give me the raw data, please. Yeah. And we did. What I like about this is it started off with the strategic thinking. That's the key. And then you use this technology to enable it because in some ways this is best practice of the way media should always have been practised. Agree. Um, except that now you've built technology to actually allow you to do this at scale, in real time and with uh, incredible accountability. Is that a fair summation? That is a very uh, solid summation. And the thing for us is we can do things that would normally take one of our competitive agencies, one of the big group, they might take three weeks to build out a, an annual campaign for a brand, a brief. We've probably given them three or four or five options within three days mm. um, and they're all different. And they're, But we have a measurement tool with the multi-platform reach and frequency model to say, it's, it's not necessarily saying it's the most perfect model, but as a strategic planning tool, it's saying option C is the best one because it's all normalised and option C delivers this particular result for you, which is way closer to what you're trying to achieve than option A might be. And so the speed of that, given that Jeremy's mandate, his self-proclaimed mandate, is take away the pain all the stuff that we normally as media people have to just grind through and it is a serious grind. It's it's not fun at all to try and suggest that you can go and identify which radio session combination and you might have seven networks or seven stations because you've only picked and chosen various sessions out of those, not an ROS package. It's just... I want breakfast on that one. I want I to drive on say, that one. Run of station is uh, out the window, isn't it? Well, because it's not. You want a cherry pick? Well, you can if you've got speed in your process, yeah, yeah. and that's what the technology gives for us. Is that it's more a case of um, now that we've got that, we can sit back and say, right, we're just clicking buttons here, and and artificial intelligence doing things, and but we're sitting back and saying, there's something wrong with that. Um, that list of programs that it's been identified in the system. Um, I've seen the TVC. The TVC doesn't belong there. Yeah. That's where the human intelligence comes in, right? So it's not just AI. I'd, otherwise, I'd have a team of three people. I've got some really talented strategists. But, and you said this early on, that the whole idea here is not to replace people. Oh, no. But allow the smart people more time yeah. to be smart. It is. Rather than spending so much time just crunching numbers. And it's painful. Trying to attract really talented marketing-driven people into the media landscape that is way more complex than it ever was, 
it's tough unless you've grown up in it into the into the media agency world every single person out there knows that it's tough yards to try and do things properly so at the end of the day, you don't do things properly because you're under a pressure of time and, and resource and all those things. Whereas we've got this amazing tool sitting there that, that will do all that for us and we can sit back and say, um, we, we're just not sure about that program. I just not Let me go and have a look at the ad again. No, no, I don't think it will fit there. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's really it's cool. a different world. Cause, and that's why we, we coined the phrase clever people using clever technologies. Mm-hmm. But the clever people's the first bit. To me, I would rather employ a lot, lot more people in the, in, the, in the clever space and give them this amazing tool that they can actually work to. Because, you know, one of the things that annoys me is that some people have seen the application of data into media as just about finding an audience and delivering it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it overlooks one of the most important things, which is context. Yeah, very you true. Know, that it's the environment that the ad appears in yeah. or your message appears in. Yeah will have a profound impact on, on the way that the person processes it. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. true. Well, and for us, and that's why um, I mentioned before, we do this in 46 countries, but we're doing it from Crow's Nest in Sydney. Yeah. So so our, do we have people all around the world? No. We have a London office and a New York office um, manned by two of, the, two of the partners in the business, and they're exceptionally talented. But we don't need to build teams around it because our crow's nest HQ is where all the grunt gets done, right? So basically the brief will come in and then we can build these things from any market in the world. And I haven't set foot in every one of those 46 countries, but the data and the research and the insights we're getting from it is telling us about consumer behaviour. And so from there... We can, we've got all the media rates and all that other stuff built into our system. So we can build a really high propensity and high impact um, advertising campaign that will deliver results for a client in any market in the world. Hey, this has been a terrific conversation, but unfortunately we've run out oh, of time. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Look, uh, just before we finish up, you know, clearly uh, audience precision's up and running. You're in uh, London. London and New York. New York and Sydney. That's obviously, right. Obviously, Crow's Nest. Yeah. Um, so what's the, if the ideal client walks through the door tomorrow, what would they look like? <laughs>